Hello and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we aim to keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers and moves in livestock, grain and oilseed and fibre markets. I'm Olivia Agar. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode for a look into productivity and profitability of sheep enterprises because the headline figure out of some newly released benchmarking data by Aggregate Consulting is that the 2020-21 season was the most profitable in 25 years for prime land producers. But on average, they still didn't perform as profitably as beef and wool producers. So today we have the man behind the numbers himself joining us. Sandy McKern is the director of Aggregate Consulting, which was formerly known as Homes and Sackett. He started with the business back in 2002, so you can count how many years experience that is in benchmarking farm enterprises. So he knows the drivers and trends in farm productivity and profitability inside and out. It's a really interesting episode today, so big thank you to Sandy for joining us. And before I hand over to Robert Herman, a quick recap on some of the markets. Capacity constraints in meat processes due to the lack of available workforce appears to be easing with the slaughter figures from last week rebounding significantly and and getting close to average levels. For lamb and sheep, it's likely to take a bit of a time before any backlog is worked through, and we know there are plenty of lambs out in the paddock that will have gained some extra weight, so that may pressure the market a bit in the weeks ahead. For cattle, though, the market seems to be absorbing the extra supply without any issue, and prices remain broadly steady this week. The grain and oilseed market had a lot going on for it this week with the WASDE report release. In summary though, wheat was a bit of a non-event with global ending stocks down slightly. Corn was also relatively uninspiring, but soybean was the biggest mover with another slash to Brazilian production and Argentina and Paraguay as well. The bottom line is though, and it was very well put by Nick Booth in today's grain market commentary on Mercado, is that global demand remains strong. Stocks are tightening, there's weather risks, there's geopolitical risks remaining elevated, and so the ag commodity markets look pretty set to remain volatile over the coming months. I'll leave it there today and hand over to Robert Herman and Sandy now. I hope you enjoy the episode. Meridian Agriculture is a multidisciplinary specialist consultancy established by Dr. Mike Stevens. Meridian 16 consultants spread across six locations in New South Wales and Vic employ an evidence-based, scientific approach to farming and a personalised manner with their clients. Meridian specialises in improving both financial and operational aspects of farming enterprises and guiding families through the often difficult transition of succession planning. Head to their website meridian-ag.com.au to learn more. Thanks very much, Olivia. Yes, we're very pleased to have Sandy McKechnie on the show today and uh, Commodity Conversations has a lot of market and data information but today we're going to learn a little bit about what's happening at farm level and we're going to come from a data-driven background and uh, Sandy, welcome to Commodity Conversations. It's a pleasure Robert. Now aggregate consulting is, uh, is the I guess what we would call you, you mightn't say this, but you're the official benchmarking organisation for, um, you know, broad acre farming, especially focusing on livestock. And uh, this year, the uh, or you've just released uh, the 2021 uh, Beef and Prime Lamb Benchmark Review. 
I was looking at on Sheep Central as a really good heading, and I know uh, Sheep Central love putting this up, but, it, but the heading is that wool and beef outperform lamb. We'll get to that as we get down the track a little bit. But just tell us a little bit about the benchmarking you do. How long has it been going? How many farms and what are the type of farms and the demographic that you tap into? Yeah, okay. So the, the data set that we've got has been going since 1997 in its current format. It predominantly uh, is, involves farms from southeastern Australia. So if you drew a line from Brisbane to Adelaide, the vast majority of the data would come to the south of come from the south of that line. It uh, year on year it varies a bit, but um, at the current moment it's benchmarking about two hundred farms a year, and so that gives us you know ballpark eighty to hundred uh, enterprises in each of the key livestock enterprises that we look at. And it, they broadly reflect. What's happening in those farms, or or if you or are there some sort of biases just by the type of clients you're tapping into? Yeah, no, it's definitely a bias sample, as is any benchmarking database. If you compare returns to ABAR, you know, data, which is a random sample of the industry, it's going to be skewed towards the more profitable end. Um, it'll be skewed to a bit larger businesses on average. Um, there's everything in there from corporate farms down to small family farms. But, you know, the large family farm, you know, is sort of um, the core of the business probably. Now, one of the focuses uh, that that was in that was focused on prime lambs. And um, over the period, the quote here is that it's the highest ever. Can you just um, give us a bit of an idea of the range of those profits? Per, <laughs> and they're on a, a DSE or per hectare or, or how do you report them? Well, I'll give you the range dollar per DSE. We report per hectare, per DSE, per hectare, per 100 mil. You know, we look at, we analyse the data to death, really, uh, to try and find, you know, areas of improvement that clients might pick up. But over that um, 25 years or roughly 25 years, you know, the variation in profits is from zero, which you can imagine in a bad drought year where commodity price is not so good, to come out with our pants on is a pretty good result, actually. So to average zero in those years, right up to, you know, this last year, $31 a DSE, that's the range. Um, more recently, if we looked at the last five years, it's probably varied between $15 and $30 a DSE. Yeah, and what causes those differences within? I know you said the season, and season can vary through the demographic you're picking up, but what about, you know, if, if you... Um, create a level playing field, if you like, what are the differences you're seeing farm to farm that are causing those variations? Yeah, so sorry, that variation I was just talking about was from year to year averages. Yeah. Definitely within the within any enterprise or between farms, there is also wide variation. And, you know, in that last year, the variation profit per DSE was from $5 a DSE to greater than $50 a DSE. Now, some of that is, um, you know, structural things going on in farms. If I'm exiting an enterprise or entering an enterprise that can have a significant influence, um, some of it's because that enterprise might be the sacrificial enterprise. You know, if I'm going into drought, I've got to sell something down. I might sell down the prime lamb flock because it's my core business is wool, for instance. So there are, within any year, there is a lot of variation caused by things that don't necessarily reflect the industry. Um, but then as we as you move up in those levels of profit, 
um, and you know into bigger enterprises and core enterprises, the core the key differences are really production uh, driven and or productivity driven. Production per DSE, you know, cost of production, they tend to be the main drivers of variation. Now I noticed that uh, one of the headlines that pops out here is that prices were thirty percent better in 2011, but profits were only 10% better. Now, that's a lot, 2011 is a long time ago. But um, in the last year, we would have seen costs come back a little bit in that year, I think, as the drought broke and prices went up. Um, so what's the story there? Are we are prime land producers able to focus strongly on cost, do you think? Or are they uh, you know, more likely to sort of let their costs run up as they as the price per kilogram runs up. Yeah, well, there's a, there's a bit in that. The, in Back in 2011, the average cost of production for a kilo of lamb, as measured in the database, was about $4 a kilo. With drought, that got above $6 a kilo when you throw in extra feed costs and things like that and lack of production that, mm. that happens in drought. Last year, on the back of better seasons, it dropped back down to only about $5.30 a kilo. And so... Whilst it declined post-drought, it didn't go all the way back to where it was. And that's because, you know, some costs are increasing as time goes on. But the prime lamb industry, if you compare it to beef and wool, and both of them, their cost of production has been increasing over time in nominal terms, as you'd expect. Uh, But prime lambs has been increasing at a faster rate, almost parallel with where prices have gone. And I think that's something to do with, you know, the industry nutting out what systems leave the best margins. And, and it really, in my experience, comes back down to production systems. Yes, it's a good point you make because in 2011, it was a pretty tough year. I mean, I don't think there's much money made in 2011, but the price has gone. I think the price was around $4 a kilogram or a bit better, sorry, in 2011, but it dropped back in, in 2013. But we're now this year, uh, in 2021, you're reporting that the price was over $8. So we've seen pretty strong move in prices. Yes, yeah. Look, Lamb's never had an issue with price going up since yeah. 1998 through to 2021. And, you know, it's a steady, I mean, the, take out the odd drought hiccup, it's been a steady increase in price. Um, so that's never been the issue. The issue is, I think 20 years ago, the, the industry was, you know, very small and new almost. I mean, I know it's been around a long time, but really only got professional in the 90s, I think, when you know people focused on eating quality of lamb. Uh, all that work was done by MLA, for instance. And then genetics came in. Um, and in that time, we've learned a lot. You know, we've, we've learned a lot about how to maximise individual components of our production system. For instance, the national marking rates going up substantially. Um, but... You know, some of those things are very feed-based, as in um, if you feed them more, you get more. And what we've got to work out is how to get the margin up in doing that. And that's something that we are still trying to get our heads around, I think. We've been very focused on individual points of our production system. For instance, number of lambs weaned per you join uh, without getting the system right and focusing on the whole. Now, I'm sure um, there were some key drivers of all of that. Um, and, you know, the improved price was one of them, but the, the production is still king, Sandy, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And in, and if you look at sort of the key differentiators between the most profitable 20% and the rest uh, in that last year or over any year, really, uh, you'll get the same 
set of numbers effectively, and that is production per DSE. So that's kilos of lamb per DSE of the flock, and that kilos of lamb per DSE is driven both by the weaning rate and but also the growth rate to sale. And, and of all of those things, growth rate to sale is the one that stands out as the biggest differential between, between farms. So, Sandy, and I know you're advising a lot of farmers in these areas, so does that just take you right back to the basics of pasture? Is that where the key to this, you know, to take advantage of this industry is? Yeah, well, I think you've got its pasture availability and the quality of that pasture availability. So you want both quantity and quality. Um, and we know with lamb, clover, you know, lamb and clover growth, they're intertwined. If you want to maximise lamb growth, throw clover at them. So if you look at your year, when are you going to have the most availability of legume, clover particularly, uh, over the course of that year? And I know you can get loosened, you know, in summer and, and things, but if you look at trials done on lucerne in summer, they're never that great. They're never 400 grams per day that you can get on clover in spring. And so that spring becomes your core part of the year. Unfortunately, as target kill weights have gone up, you know, from 16 to 18 to 20 to 22 to 30, um, our ability to do that in a short spring has diminished. And so now we're left with this conundrum. Do we put our production system out of that core period at the start or at the end. And the biggest trap I think is to get caught at the end. You know, if you're going out into summer and then autumn, that's where the biggest cost of feed is. And they're the ones where that growth rate to sale, you know, lamb sold out there, growth rate to sale has dropped diminishly, uh, substantially from, from anything that's sold pre-Christmas, essentially. So are you considering putting bringing lambing earlier in the year then? I think for prime land producers, that's the way I would go, definitely. Mm. Yeah. Mm. To, I'd rather f pay for that extra feed before the lamb hits the ground than in, you know, post in the summer, autumn, subsequent winter. Now, Sandy, you probably know this statistic better than I do, but I think MLA reported this year that uh, for the first time, the matings of merinos to merinos dropped below 73%. Um, and so there is this discussion, I guess, anecdotally, that there's a swing to prime lambs. But your data, this again, has shown that it, it can't be driven by economics because wool sacked up very well. Yeah. I mean, unbelievably, it was hard to find anyone thinking about the wool market 18 months ago that thought there was going to be any joy for three years. And luckily, you know, things bounced back pretty quickly. But wool, it was coming off very strong prices and very strong results, and it bounced back, you know, a fair bit of bounced back a fair bit of that, and it ended up the average wool flock generated thirty eight dollars profit per DSE. Wool, wool, and I think this is a function of pain because the nineties were particularly painful. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the people who were left in wool at the end of that sort of wool stockpile cleanout worked hard on their systems, cost of production, and understood key drivers and. Mm -hmm. There is a large core of the industry, I think, who's, who survived that, eked out margins with systems that were really efficient and they're paying, you know, they, they're getting paid handsomely for that now. Um, and so it's not, like you say, it's not the relative profit that's shifting. I don't doubt there's a switch to land. I, I think the numbers don't lie. 
I don't think it's about the money. I think it's about some of these other issues, shearers, um, you know, the non-millsing thing and yep. the extra work that might... So the extra labour involved. Mm. Uh, and I think lamb is perceived to be an easier an easier bet, even if it, you might leave a little bit of profit on the table. Now, I think I'm quoting you here, but you're saying then the risk is that those movers actually keep moving and go and, and go to cattle to, <laughs> yeah. to get their scale. Well, if you want a relaxed lifestyle, you, know, <laughs> you won't be in sheep. So lamb's better than wool, but beef, that's another, that's a new thing again. You spend half your year at the beach. So, that, you know, Sandy, we've that, got a few, we've got danger. A few. We've got a few beef farmers listening to this. Oh, no, really? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but look, it's an interesting point because, um, I mean, what it tells us is that if you can get your enterprise right, uh, even whether it's lamb or wool, really, I mean, it's not a bad business to be setting yourself up in for the future. We are in a golden period of time. I think, you know, I'm only a pup, so I don't really remember what it was like before the 90s, um, 80s, 90s, but I think we're in a, gen- you know, once in a generation golden patch now and the, the money is excellent in what we're doing, you know, and hence land prices and things doing what they're doing. Um, so definitely, and, and let's not confuse probably a key message is, there, and, and it's always been the case, there is more variation within an enterprise than there is between enterprises. So, a very profitable prime lamb production system is still better than an average wool system or beef, etc. So you don't. I would discourage chasing enterprises between markets and fads and you know whatever else might encourage people. And that's the advantage of this benchmarking data for long-term clients. You know, people who've benchmarked for twenty years, they know that year in year out their enterprise is going to compete, and if they're really good at it, it'll be better than most doesn't matter what the enterprise. Um, so we don't want to chase it because often you, you know, you, you're always following where the profits were, not uh, being there when, when they're ready to be taken. And I guess a lot of uh, farmers by um, over time have ended up in, in an industry that they enjoy and like and know. So your point's very well made. The, the difference though between the top 20% and the rest is, is it's a lot of money. How hard is it for somebody who's, you know, bottom 50%, if you like, to move themselves up? How hard is it for them to actually implement the, the things in their business and on their farm that they need to do? The two hardest things. The first one is to ignore all the distractions because everyone who walks onto your farm will tell you a different way of improving your profit and probably only three or four of them matter uh, and probably they're not mentioned. So... I think the biggest thing is, you know, avoiding the distractions and being able to stay focused over time and, and, you know, get on that path of continuous improvement. So you've got to know where that path is and what the key things you need to focus are. are. Um, and then the second one is money. And, you know, farms are very capital-intensive businesses. A lot of the improvements that you might want to make in terms of pasture productivity, infrastructure, all those things, they take a lot of money. And so you've got to be very disciplined with where you spend that money uh, and concentrate on the highest return things first. You know, because you, you go to a well-run farm that's making a lot of money now and look at it and it's got all these things that you want, pastures, 
infrastructure, you know, the yards, everything, great looking stock, everything looks good, but you haven't seen the path to get there. Yep. And that's really important, I think, for people to understand is that, you know, I want to be there, but if I don't get on the right path, I might never get there. And so, you know, there's there's a lot in that, I think, and getting amongst a small group of peers that have been on that path and know what it looks like and can help you maintain the discipline there is really important. Now, one of the things that that's really bugged me uh, since the 90s really has been this, and you mentioned it in, in I think, you use a slightly different term, but we talk about the fight for acres. And the cropping industry has really, you know, won the fight for acres over the last, you know, 30 years with sheep. Did you look at those margins, the sheep and uh, the prime lamb and the wool margins versus cropping? Did that come into your, into your equation at all? Uh, we do. And to be honest, um, right now, life's, we went through a period of time, for a long time, a period of time where the livestock was not competing with cropping, you know, per hectare, per 100 mil. Even if you took into account the fact that, you know, mixed farms, which the majority are, have a bit of livestock and crop, um, they were cropping their best ground and the sheep were left on the edges, etc. Even taking into that account for a long time, cropping um, did outperform in the south and that was largely driven, actually, not by income per hectare, not even by gross margin per hectare. It's driven by the fact that if you bought the farm next door, all you need to do is buy a bigger tractor, you know. And, and, and cut the fence. Cut the fence. And <laughs> the, it was the labour efficiency of it yeah. um, that really helped them. And they've ridden a you know terrific wave cropping. When, you know, they're no longer running around in Fergie tractors, ripping the ground up three times, mm. sowing it down and harvesting it into chaff bags um, and so they've got major productivity gains have happened there um, and, and beef is a bit the same you know if in those big beef areas it was the same thing add 500 cows to the system and it didn't add a labor unit yeah oh well we could do that again yeah. and so their cost their productivity was really improving quite dramatically quite quickly we haven't been up lambs just taking off now i think and there's mm-hmm. lots of potential in that Wool, we haven't moved a millimetre in that. And that is, a, that is a real, you know, that's a, I think that's a looming problem for the wool industry. And, it's, and it does things like affects people's, you know, attitude to it. Hence, you know, we've got this tough period where shearers are short now and people just, oh, it's just too hard, you know. Yeah. So it is an issue, I think, for the wool industry and we've, they have to watch that. Um, price, luckily... Price has taken care of it, and price may always take care of it, but I wouldn't like to rely on it. No, I think that's right. Um, look, it's been fantastic. I'm speaking to Sandy McKeckham from Aggregate Consulting. Um, this type of benchmarking and um, and reporting of, of farm, um, you know, profits and and report and um, financials is absolutely essential in helping make informed decisions. And I think it balances off, as you've pointed out a couple of times in your report, it balances off against, you know, the the trends, if you like, where people start heading in a direction because the next door neighbour did or everybody did or because it's easier. And and I think this is really important. Sandy, we usually finish off with sort of a, um, a bit of a left field question. If one of your friendly bankers was to give you 10 million now, would you buy a cropping property? Would you buy a cattle property? Would you buy a sheep property? And if you did buy a sheep property, would it run prime lambs um, or merinos? Oh, that's a great question. 
if I was given $10 million now, I'd, I would look up where the best value land is that's left <laughs> because it's moved so quickly and it's right. moved a lot more in some areas than others already. Um, then I would be, the first thing I would do is go, where's a good place to buy? And if that happened to be in a cropping zone, well, I guess I've got to go cropping. If it happened to be, you know, in the sheep zone, I'd, I'd go to sheep. Having made that decision, you know, what, what, what enterprise, sheep enterprise? Um, oh, look, to be honest, I would do what I've always done. So, you know, if you're not talking about me specifically, I would do what I've always done. So if I was, if I was a wool producer, I'd expand my wool. Yep. System. If I was in beef, I'd expand that. And if I was in prime land, I'd expand that. So the challenge for the future is in farming is, and, and I guess we can look to the cropping guys, the challenge for, for livestock is how can we continue to scale up and, and be more efficient? And I suppose that comes back to being having innovation. And you're right, you've, you've hit the nail on the head when you talk about the wool industry having that challenge still ahead of us. So, um, look, I'd like to just thank you. I'd like to congratulate you, first of all, on continuing this uh, really important work, Sandy. I, I love it, the fact that when it comes out, you know, everybody can look at it and can, uh, and can trust it and can say, well, okay, there's the facts and figures. How does it apply to my business? So thanks again, Sandy, for coming on. And we look forward to talking to you again sometime in the future. Pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Commodity Conversations. If you're looking for more detailed information on commodity markets, you can head to the Mercado website and pick up a premium subscription, which will give you full access to all our archive of reports, as well as all the fresh analysis as it's delivered and access to our team of analysts. Thanks again. And until next week, take care.